So if you are joining with us for the first time today, we have been in a series, uh, actually we began last week and we're going to be continuing in the weeks ahead, uh, looking at the life of Abraham. And what we're trying to do throughout the series is kind of what you are seeing depicted on these little video vignettes. Uh, Each week, we're going to have a different one. But we see a young person who's kind of interacting with the story of Abraham in light of her own story. And this is really what we're hoping you will do, you know, in these weeks that we're in the life of Abraham, is bring your own story, your own faith journey into conversation, into dialogue with the story of Abraham. Now, why would we look at Abraham? Well, uh, all of the great monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all count Abraham as the father of faith. And so if you want to know what it means to be a person of faith, what it means to take a journey of faith, there is no better place than to look at the life of Abram. And so uh, we are looking together at his life and his journey of faith and and seeking to cull his life and and learn about his life so that we can learn about our own journey of faith. Now, what we're going to see today is that Abraham is not just the father of faith, In many ways, thankfully, he is also the father of doubts and fears and disobedience, and he also fails. And that's one of the reasons why I like Abraham, why he's such a refreshing picture for us, is that the man is not perfect. Uh, He blows it. He fails. And so for those of us who are not perfect, is anybody in the house not perfect? You know, this is, this is good news because we learn that God works with ordinary people who have their own failures and foibles, and God interacts with them. And he, and he interacts with us in our own failures and foibles so that he can take us to deeper levels of trust and faith. Now, last week when we opened up our series in Abraham, we saw together the very essence of faith. And we said that the essence of faith is trust in the promise of God. In other words, what it means to be a person of faith is not simply that you have belief in God. I mean, the demons believe in God, the Bible says. It's more than having a vague, general notion of God or even belief in God. Certainly, faith in God involves belief in God, but it involves so much more. It involves trust in the promise of God. But what we're going to see today is one of the great obstacles, one of the great threats to our own trust in the promise of God and cultivating a life of trust. And that obstacle, that threat that oftentimes sabotages our faith is fear. And so I want to talk to you today about the problem of fear. You know, I was thinking uh, this week about this issue, and then I went and uh, had uh, coffee with uh, a couple people from our church who are physicists. And I was talking with uh, the wife who is a, um, she's a physics professor over at Caltech, and she was talking to me about the force of gravity. And she said the force of gravity is a relatively weak force compared to the other quantum forces. And she said, for example, if uh, you, you, you know, if you drop your phone, uh, gravity has, has enough force to pull it down. But whatever quantum forces are holding this pulpit together, which is well beyond my pay grade to understand, but whatever those things are, it is, it is thicker, it's harder, it is stronger than the force of gravity. And I think in many ways, a lot of us walk around with faith being one of the forces in our life, but I think when it comes to our own practical decisions, how we live, uh, the decisions we make with our money or our homes and uh, the risks we take or fail to take or our vocations or our education or whatever, very often the more dominant force in our life is not our faith, it's not our trust, it's our fear. 
And in the story we're looking at today, Abraham is, is being overcome with a stronger force than the force of his own faith. We see him encountering this great obstacle of fear. Now, Abram's story, of course, started well. Uh, we looked at it last week. He was called by God. God said, go, and the text said simply, and Abraham went. And what an incredible way to begin your own journey with God, with a radical act of decision and trust and obedience, a radical faith in the promise of God. And this is where Abram's story begins. But his ascent, kind of this journey up of trust and journeying on of worship and faith and trust in God, immediately takes a descent because something happens around him that rattles his own faith. And look at what it says in chapter 12, verse 10. It says this. You remember Abram, God said, go. Abram went, and he goes to the land of Canaan. But when he gets to this land that God says, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to give you this land, he discovers that the land of promise is also a land of famine. Look what it says, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. You know, it's easy to trust God in times of plenty, but in a famine, it's a different story, isn't it? And so here Abram, he, he encounters this famine. And of course, in times of plenty, you know, there are, there are their own temptations. But famines carry a unique temptation. You, you wonder if you can trust God in the face of all of this scarcity. And what am I going to do? And where am I going to go? And how am I going to live? God, what am I going to do now? And so in the midst of the famine, Abram's faith wavers, and he leaves the land of promise, and he goes down to Egypt. Look at what it says again in the text. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. Abram goes down to Egypt to sojourn there. Now, why Egypt? Well, Egypt, the land of Egypt was, was fed, it was nourished primarily by the Nile River. And so there was always a stable and a sure and a secure source of life and vitality and fertility and abundance in the land. It was the Nile River. The land of Canaan was a different story because the land of Canaan had to be nourished by rains. And so in order to be a person of faith in the land of Canaan, you had to trust in God for the rains. You didn't have that steady, stable source of the Nile. And so typically in the land of Canaan, when there were famines, they would go to Nile. They would go down to Egypt because the, the Egypt was nourished and sustained by the Nile. But Egypt, as we're going to see, is a scary place. You know, Egypt, of course, is a, it's a location on the map. But it's also a metaphor in the Bible for the world, for that place where the other it dwells, that place where there is different cultures and different practices and a different language, and they do things differently. And sometimes when you go into Egypt, when you go into this foreign place, you feel afraid because it's different, and it's new, and it's strange, and it's other. And usually, the, the, the things that cause us the most fear are those others that are unknown. You know, it was H.P. Lovecraft who said that the oldest and strongest human emotion is fear, 
and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is the fear of the unknown. H.P. Lovecraft uh, wrote horror. And of course, the great uh, suspense and horror filmmakers know that one of the ways they play on us at a deep emotional level is they, is they use the fear of the unknown. And of course, this isn't just a strategy of the filmmakers. Uh, this is something that happens in our own life. Very often, it is when there are unknowns around us. We don't know where we're going to live, who we're going to date, if the marriage is going to continue on, where kids are going to turn out, you know, what's going to happen with COVID and the economy and the military and the threats around us and the culture we're inhabiting now that seems to be deconstructed and falling apart. And we are afraid because we are surrounded by so many unknowns. And I want you to notice what Abram does when he is surrounded by all of these unknowns, when he is fraught with fear, when he is feeling anxious and afraid because he's moving into territory that is scary, it's foreign and different. I want you to notice Abram does two things that I think is real common for all of us when we find ourselves in a scary place that is different and other and there are unknowns. I want you to see, number one, what he does is he engages in the art of catastrophizing. He engages in the art of catastrophizing. Anybody here like to catastrophize? You know what I'm talking about. You take a unknown, fearful thing that's out there, and you exaggerate the danger, and you come up with the worst case scenario possible. Anybody you're sitting next to that you know well catastrophizes. Go ahead and just point them out and turn to them and say, stop catastrophizing. They're not alone. Abraham did it. Look what it says in the text. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai's wife, look, I know that you're a beautiful woman in appearance. He says, honey, you are gorgeous. You are beautiful. It is, it is just what maybe she wanted to hear in that moment. Honey, I know you are beautiful. But notice the next line. He, he says, I know you're beautiful. And that leads me to another thing that I am absolutely certain of. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife, and they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. How, why, how did he go from, honey, you're so beautiful, to they're going to kill me when I get there? I mean, how does he know? He acts as if he is so certain. Very often we fill in the unknowns in the world around us with our certitudes, those things we are absolutely confident of. Now, how did he know how the Egyptians were going to treat him when he got there? I mean, maybe, maybe the neighbor told him. Maybe this was just the way we talked about the Egyptians around the dinner table growing up. I don't know, maybe he went online and he did some research, watched some YouTube clips of celebrity leaders talking about the Egyptians and thought, oh no, the Egyptians, they kill people when you get there. We don't know. What we know is that he engaged in catastrophizing, and this is often what we do. We take a threat and we exaggerate it, and we fill in the unknowns with a picture, with a vision of an outcome that we have no idea whether or not that outcome is really going to happen. But we're sure of it because we are, we're, we're just sure it's, everything's going to fail. It's going to fall apart. If, I, if I, I got a bad grade on that test, I know it. And now I'm not going to get into the college of my dreams. And if I don't get in the college of the dreams, I, I'm not going to get a job. And then I'm going to end up on the street and I'm going to be homeless and I'm going to die there on the streets. And that's just what's going to happen. We catastrophize. 
In our fear and anxiety, we start imagining the worst case scenario. And when you start imagining the worst case scenario, that fear starts to become so strong, such a powerful force in your life that the the force of your faith is relatively weak. And though that faith might pull you to a certain, uh, certain degree and it pulls you This far, once it hits those fears and those worst case scenarios, all of a sudden you are just overcome and you're taken over by this reality that you are fearful and insecurity of. And this is Abraham. But notice he not only catastrophizes, I want you to see that he next engages out of his fears in destructive self-protection. Now what happens next is dark and it's disturbing. Look at the text. And so he says to Sarah, he says, look, they're going to kill me, but they're going to let you live. And so I want you to say that you're my sister. Why? That it may, may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. He says, look, let's tell them you're my sister so they'll take you into their oppressive, exploitive relationship and they'll save me. Now, on on one level, we have to be sympathetic with Abram and Sarah in this moment. I mean, a lot of us live in privilege. We don't know what it's like to be a refugee or an immigrant wandering into a foreign, scary place where there are tyrannical social systems in place that will exploit and oppress and will take your life. And when people's backs are against the wall, they do scary things. But on on another level, this is absolutely inexcusable. Here, Abram is, is now suggesting that the mother of promise, the ancestress of Israel, the great matriarch of the people of God, he is suggesting that we just pawn her off to the Egyptians for his own sake. He throws her under the bus to protect himself. And listen, very often, what Abraham does here is not unique to Abram. You see, oftentimes when we are in scary places, when we are feeling threatened, when we're fearful, when we're afraid, when we're catastrophizing, and we're imagining worst-case scenarios, when we are in scary places, sometimes we do scary things to the people we love the most. And so, for example, you, you, you are fearful and you're terrified of, of your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse hurting you. And so to protect yourself from being hurt, you be the one who hurts them first. You're afraid of being betrayed or left. And so you leave before you're the one who, who is left. You're afraid of being vulnerable and open because you are afraid of being hurt. And so you end up destroying and hurting the intimacy of the relationship because of your own fears of openness and vulnerability. Or maybe you are afraid there's just not going to be enough. You grew up in a home where it's like mom and dad, they never had enough. And now you have a bank account and it's large and it's growing and you have savings, but it never seems to be enough. And the people that are hurt are the ones in need in this world who need humanity to share their resources. But you are afraid. 
or you're afraid of opening up your home because it's going to get messy or it's going to be disturbed and you want calm and you want safety in your home and so you just don't open up your home and the people who suffer are your kids who need other people in your home. You see, very often we operate out of our own fears in a way that is hurtful and destructive to people around us. This is what Abram's doing. He is operating out of his own fears. And you know what's crazy is his plan, it looks like it works. Look at what it says in the text. And so when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Abram's self-serving plan seems to be working in his favor. And sometimes your self-serving plans do sometimes work in your favor. And Abram, he increases his wealth. He gets more oxen and cattle, and he gets more uh, servants, and he gets more camels. It looks like things are going well, but nothing is going well in this moment, because what's the one thing Abram no longer has? His wife. What does Sarah no longer have? Her freedom. Now Sarah is a victim, and she is being exploited, and she's in an oppressive environment, because Abram was trying to save his own skin. When we act out of our fear, there are often unintended consequences on the people around us. You know, Abram has secured his safety, but at what cost? And friends, maybe you have secured your own safety. You have protected yourself. You protect your kids. You protect your home. You protect your bank account. You protect your safety and your security, and you protect it all. But at what cost? At what cost are we clinging to our own safety and security? Are we trying to protect ourselves from any threats around us? At what cost? There are always unintended consequences. And there's unintended consequences here. And the unintended consequence is now Abram has lost the mother of promise. He's essentially given up everything that began at the beginning, this grand vision of land and blessing and descendants and, and, and God's promise. He's given it up and he's traded it in for a mess of porridge, for something that is worth very little relative to all that he had been given in the gracious hand of God. And listen, it just didn't have to be this way. You know, very often when we start catastrophizing and we start creating the worst case scenarios in our minds, we convince ourselves that there is no other alternative than the choice we are making. And we, we engage in self-justification. You know, my heart runs on self-justification the way my car runs on gasoline, and yours does too, doesn't it? We always have to justify ourselves, and so we justify our own actions to secure and protect because there's no other option. It's too dangerous. The world's a scary place. I've got to do this. I've got to be controlling of my children, of my house, of my money. It's all got to retain safely underneath my control, but it just doesn't have to be that way. There was another option. Abram didn't have to, say, to trade Sarah for his own safety and wealth. Abraham could have trusted in the promise of God. He could have trusted that God would be with him and for him and not against him. 
He could have trusted that if he just, if he was honorable and maintained his integrity and he did what he should do when he goes down, even in the most scary and difficult of places with his back up against the wall as a refugee, even there, God would be with him and would protect him and care for him. There may be bad consequences. God doesn't rid our life of consequences, but I'll tell you what wouldn't happen. He wouldn't have lost his wife. But I want you to see in our text that not everything depends upon the poor decisions of Abraham. And friends, this is good news. Not everything depends on the stupid decisions you make. Amen? Not everything depends upon those dysfunctional, incredibly dysfunctional, unhealthy ways in which you have acted out of your own fear and insecurity. And we all have those moments, don't we? Not everything depends upon that because there is a God in heaven who is acting on behalf of the mother of Israel, Sarah, in our text. And I want you to see there's three things that happen here in Abram and in Sarah's life, three things that wake up Abram and, and break the hold of fear in his life and return him to his journey of faith. Three things that he encountered that turned his own journey of fear into a journey of faith again. Three things that can turn your journey of fear into a journey of faith again. Three things he saw. Number one, I want you to see he saw the mysterious action of God. Look at the text. It says, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh. You know, it, it's interesting. When you read through the text of Scripture, it doesn't sugarcoat things. It depicts the world not that we want or we wish were true. It depicts the world as it is. And here in these ancient old texts, it depicts a patriarchal, misogynistic world where women are treated as pawns and the, the men are the one with power. And here in this text, the, the one who is speaking, the one with the voice is Abraham at the beginning and Pharaoh at the end. The one who has no voice in our story is Sarah. The one who has power is Abraham, the father, with all of his resources to hand his wife like a pawn over to the other guy with even more power, Pharaoh, and all of his political and military might. The one who has no power, the one who has no voice in our text is Sarah. And note well, the one who God intervenes on behalf of, the one who God breaks in and rescues is the powerless and the voiceless one in our text. You see, there is a power at work in this world. There is a power operative in this world that is stronger than the power of those who abuse and who oppress and exploit. It is the power of the God who hears the cry and who sees the plight of the exploited and the oppressed and the abused and the take advantage of. And here God breaks in and he, and he intervenes on their behalf. And there's a foreshadow in this text. This is not unique. This is the paradigmatic way in which you see God interacting in Scripture. You see here, Abram, because of a famine, goes down into Egypt. While he's there, Sarah goes into an exploitive, oppressive relationship with the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And what happens? God afflicts Pharaoh with plagues and brings Sarah and Abram out of Egypt and into the land. Does that sound like any other story that you know about in the Old Testament? I mean, this is the story that this is the defining story of Israel. They go down into Egypt because of famine. And they are oppressed and they're exploited and they're enslaved for 400 years. 
And it looks like the power that, that, that is really at work in this world is the power of Pharaoh. But then we are made aware, we are put on notice that there is a greater and a truer power at work in this world. It is the power of God who breaks in and who who sends plagues, not just on this Pharaoh, but ultimately on the Pharaoh that's oppressing Egypt. He sends his judgment on them. And in a great act of judgment and salvation, he lets his people go free. And this is the God we meet in scripture. And here's the point. Abram's problem is not that he feared. Abram's real problem is that he feared the wrong thing. He feared the powers at work in this world, the exploitive, oppressive powers at work in this world, when he should have feared the power of God that works on behalf of the exploited and the oppressed and the abused and the naked, taken advantage of. And if he would have lived in fear of that God, and he would have entrusted himself to this God and sought this God, things would have been different in Egypt. And friends, when you fear God, when you believe and you trust that there is a strong power at work in this world, the power of God's love, his healing, saving, redemptive power at work in this world, and you entrust yourself to this God and you fear him and you say, I don't want to displease this God. I don't want to violate this God. I don't want to compromise my integrity. I don't want to become accommodated to the values and practices of Egypt that are exploitive and dehumanizing. I will trust myself to this God, come what may. It breaks the power of fear in your life because you're living with a greater fear. So number one, he saw the mysterious action of God that worked on behalf of the exploited and the marginalized. But secondly, I want you to see that, that Abraham not only witnessed the, the, the mysterious action of God to afflict Pharaoh with these plagues, he also witnesses in our text, or it comes to a realization in the text, a disturbing awareness of Abraham's self. Look, look, look what happens next. Notice... It's not just that the Lord afflicts Pharaoh and then Pharaoh sets Abram and Sarah free. No, there's a little conversation that's going to happen with Pharaoh and Abram in verse 18. Look what it says. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Here the world is rebuking the church. Here we thought that the problem was going to be the evil Egyptians, the evil people out there. But here, what, what Abraham has to come to grips with is that the real problem in this case is not the evil Egyptians out there. It is his own deceptive heart in here. And it's exposed. He is undone by the questions of Pharaoh. Gerhard von Rod, a famous, well-known Old Testament scholar, sadly notes, here, the bearer of the promise becomes the greatest enemy of the promise. Here, the bearer of the promise becomes the greatest enemy of the promise. His imagined scenarios, worst-case scenarios, are the very thing that created the problem that he is now dealing with. And very often, it is when we are acting out of our worst-case scenarios that we create the very problems we were trying to prevent in the first place. It happens all the time. You know this in your experience, don't you? Very often, it is our fears, it's our insecurities. When those are controlling us and we're operating out of those things, they become very destructive and they actually create problems rather than resolve them. 
This is what's happening. And Abram is confronted with a question. What have you done? It's not the first time this question has been asked in the book of Genesis. It's the question that God asks Eve in the garden. What have you done? It's the question that God asks Cain after he kills Abel. He says, what have you done? And what is God doing in those moments? He's not getting new information. He is asking a question that is intended to expose and to shine a light on the dysfunction and the unbelief and the fears that are controlling things and making things worse. He's saying, do you see what your fears are doing? Do you see they're driving you to be so controlling of your children? And they're driving you to be controlling of your spouse and they're driving you to be greedy and protective and, and, and careful with all of your money, never sharing it. They're, 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 your fears, what, do you see what your fears are doing? They're preventing you from being honest with, with your spouse and with people around you. They're preventing you from being vulnerable and honest with, 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 with yourself sometimes. And so here, Abram is confronted, and sometimes maybe we need a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a kid or a parent or a spouse to say, what, what are you doing? Not to shame us, but to wake us up and to say, there's a different way of being human in this world. You don't need to be controlled by the force of your fears. There is a better and a more healing and life-giving power to control your life. It can be your trust in the power and the promise of God. And so, number one, Abram, he witnesses the mysterious action of God to bring judgment. Second, he, he, he has this disturbing recognition of self. But I want you to see finally in our text, Abraham not only moves out from fear back onto his journey of faith, because of a third thing, because of his beautiful reception of grace. Notice how the story ends. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Abram goes down into Egypt in an act of stupidity, massive stupidity. He creates terrible problems for himself because he's acting out of his own fears and insecurities rather than his trust in the promise of God. And he creates these problems. He does this heinous thing. And then he ends up, rather than, he's supposed to be a blessing to the nations. Now the nations are cursed underneath the plagues of God because of his stupidity. And it's interesting in our text, who gets afflicted with plagues? Not Abraham, but Pharaoh. Now, granted, Pharaoh deserved it with all of his exploitive, oppressive practices. But what about Abraham? He seems to get off scot-free. Now, I guess he's not entirely scot-free because if somebody is studying about your stupidest decision you've ever made 3,000 years from now on another side of the continent because it's been that vulnerable and exposed, you didn't get off scot-free. The dysfunction was named and named generation after generation for millennia. But ultimately, Abram is not the recipient in our story of God's judgment and plagues. In our story, Abraham 
is the recipient of the gracious and sovereign and free in healing love and grace of God. Abram doesn't get what he deserves. I'm sure Sarah gave him an earful when he, they got home. <laughs> but here he doesn't get what he deserves. Here Abram gets exactly the opposite of what he deserves. He gets the promise. The promise, the inheritance is still his. He goes back into the land. He's going to get a child and those descendants. His name is going to be made great. All of this, he doesn't deserve and it's what God gives him and that is grace. And ultimately where we can actually recover our faith in the face of the fears is when we recognize that the God who exists, the God who is there and who is not silenced is ultimately a God of grace and love and forgiveness. You can trust this God. You can trust this God in a famine. You can trust this God down in scary Egypt. You can trust this God in the face of tyrannical rulers. You can trust this God in the face of all of the stuff about your past and about your present and about your bank account and about your marriage and about your kids that creates fear and anxiety in you. You can trust this God because God is good and God is gracious and God is so merciful. And what's shocking is just, Abraham doesn't even get a glimpse of just how gracious and merciful this God will ultimately become. Because this God who invades Egypt with his sovereign, mysterious, shocking presence and plagues, with his judgment and with his salvation, ultimately this God incarnates and becomes flesh and invades the world that we inhabit in the person of Jesus. And whereas Abraham threw Sarah under the bus to save himself, Jesus ultimately, the incarnate love of God among us, throws himself under the bus so that we can be rescued. Whereas Abraham asserts self and sacrifices Sarah, Jesus gives down his life to save us in a great act of sacrifice. And whereas God in our text afflicts and visits Pharaoh with plagues and with judgment so that he can save the oppressed and the exploited in Jesus Christ. God himself embraces and absorbs all of the plagues and all of the judgment of God in Christ was absorbed and its power was broken so that all of humanity, even the exploiters, even the Pharaohs, even the Abrahams and the Sarahs can all experience God's grace and know a new and different future of trust and healing and goodness. And that is incredible incredibly good news. Amen? And so we can trust this God. Let's pray together. Father, we approach you now and we confess that all too often we have connected not so much with Abram's radical journey of faith but with his flights of doubts and with his fears and with his insecurities. And Father, we just ask that you would bring people in our lives who will expose us, who will question us. And would you give us the grace to hear those questions? God, would you give us the eyes to see who you are 
God, you are so worthy of our trust. You are so faithful and you are so good and you have been so true to your promises in coming into this world in Jesus. We can trust your promise that you will come again, that you will never leave us and forsake us, that you will make all things new, that you will judge the world in righteousness and truth. God, that you will be merciful to us when we come to you with our brokenness and sins. God, enable our deep faith and trust. Help us like Abram to become more and more a person who trusts in your promise and who experiences your grace and who is a blessing and a gift to this world because we trust in your goodness and we're not operating out of fear. God, make us that community, we pray. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, in whom all of your promises are yes and amen. Amen.